Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Take talk with you anywhere with the all-new Talk 1370 app. Listen to your favorite shows. Keep up with the latest breaking news and more. Search for Talk 1370 in the App Store or find the links at Talk1370.com. It's anywhere I need. Talk 1370, the right choice. It's time for Come and Talk It with your host, Michael Cargill, brought to you by Texas Law Shield. Over the last decade, Michael has championed and supported the rights of law-abiding Texans to own and use firearms. He is the owner of Central Texas Gunworks, a veteran of the United States Army, and has achieved national exposure in such prestigious media outlets such as Forbes Magazine, Fox Business News, CNN Money, AOL, BBC World News, Huffington Post, and the New York Times. Cargill vigorously defends lawful gun ownership in this country without regard to party politics. And now, here's Michael Cargill. Good afternoon, Austin, Texas, the live music capital of the world. Let's praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. All right, so slow traffic threatens the zooming Austin economy. That's what we're going to talk about real quick. Uh, In the last 20 years, Austin has seen a tremendous economic growth and is actually listed as one of the best places to live. As a result, Austin has seen an influx in population that encompasses a wide array of cultures and customs. Now, as with any large growing city, there will be a need for investment in infrastructure. This includes but is not limited to housing, fire stations, flooding, roads, transit. Austin is ranked 13 in the United States among cities with the worst traffic congestion. Austin drivers are less satisfied with their city's traffic than drivers from Fort Worth and San Antonio. Now, the longer Austin drivers sit in traffic, the worse the economy gets. The average Austin resident spends 47 hours a year in congestion and quality of life for Austinites is declining every day. If you have to spend an extra hour or two, five to six days a week just to get to work You're either going to request high wages to compensate you or you will begin looking for another job. In short, congestion makes it harder to watch the right workers to the best jobs. And that's economically inefficient. I-35 is the corridor for trucking industries to deliver goods to several cities in Texas. Congestion in Austin cost the trucking industry over $120 million a year. This ultimately increases the cost of transported goods. Economically, this is inefficient. Councilwoman Houston and the council decided to create a bond task force to identify and prioritize bond funding projects that would address infrastructure needs, including but not limited to needs relating to flooding, libraries, housing, mobility, transit parks, fire stations and other planned unfunded capital improvement needs. Some of you may know me as an advocate of protecting American citizens' Second Amendment right. Some of you may know me as an advocate for civil rights and liberties for people of all shades and sexual orientation. I'm speaking as Michael Cargill, 
as an Austin resident who deals with the daily hours of congestion. I spend over an hour a day on a 12 mile commute to my business. These times double when I attend different meetings monthly or drive to the Capitol to fight for citizen safety at the Capitol and sitting in traffic using the WASI app to find the shortest accident free routes has become routine and I am ready to work on solutions and no chatter about the problems. When it comes to transportation and logistics, my career in the United States Army as a non-commissioned officer in charge of several United States Army bands logistics during war and peacetime cements my expertise in the field. Councilmember Houston from District 1 nominated me to, to the task force. Instead of focusing on our 20% partisan difference, we seek to unify Austin and improve the city, citing our professional relationship my status as a business owner and our professional working relationship to save Austin residents time and to improve the economic efficiency in Austin infrastructure. However, I was not selected by the Austin board to help discuss how to get Austin moving. This was time for sure leadership. This was an opportunity to focus on the 80% of Austin issues we agree on instead of being professional and inclusive, the board citing a partisan difference voted against only my nomination in time where the national agenda focusing focuses on division. Austin City Council members had an opportunity to place people over party. Instead, council members cited a personal and partisan view for their no vote. There was no single issue that was stated that addresses the infrastructure needs. There was no policy issue cited, only emotional, personal differences. I implore the Austin City Council to be the change for inclusion and teamwork. Look beyond emotions and focus on solutions to increase the success of all Austin residents. Diversity, inclusion and partnership makes Austin a better place to live. As always, I will continue my work as an active Austin taxpayer to allow my voice to be heard in making Austin great again. Today, we're going to chat with attorney Edwin Walker, principal attorney for Texas and U.S. Law Shield. Edwin's my attorney. We're going to talk with him about some cases he's working on. Edwin's going to talk with us about that Derek Poe versus Jefferson County. Also, we're going to chat with my, my attorney in Georgia. He's Matt Kilgore, and he's going to lay out uh, my parents' case because... You know, not always are shootings cut and dry, you know, maybe because a person climbs in on the second floor, uh, tries to uh, get into your home. It's not just cut and dry because uh, there always could be some good things and bad things that can come from that. And Matt's going to lay some of those things out for us as we talk with him all the way in Georgia. All right. So but let me let me bring into the conversation. Edwin Walker. Edwin, welcome to come and talk, sir. Hello, Mike. It's always good to talk with you on a Sunday afternoon. Absolutely, sir. All right, so um, tell us about this case first, because uh, I do want to talk to you about your your case there that you, I think you had a victory in this week, and I also want to talk to you about coyotes and dogs, because a lot of people are asking us this week, you know, can I shoot a coyote, or can I okay. shoot a dog that's attacking me, or can I shoot a dog that's attacking one of my dogs? Or can I shoot a coyote that's attacking my dog? And so I, I need to get you to break this down for us because this is a very popular topic in Austin. 
since we have some coyote sightings. All right, yeah. f- how about a, how about shooting a dog that's attacking your coyote? <laughs> there you go. Uh, so, but before we get to that, I do want you to break down uh, the case of uh, it was a gun store owner, right? Yeah. Well, he wasn't a gun store owner. He owned a uh, gun accessory shop. Okay. It's, it's actually a very interesting case, and and I know a lot of folks in the open carry movement were watching this very closely because it kind of became a cause celeb uh, within the open carry movement. Now. Uh, we're going to have to take you back to the time. Uh, this, we're going to take you back to December 2013. Uh, if you'll remember, to December 2013, the 2000 legislature was over with. We weren't going to have another legislative session for uh, an entire year uh, to January 2015. And the open carry movement had sort of arisen uh, in an effort to lobby the legislature to approve the open carry of handguns by license holders. Uh, and in one way that they were doing this was they were staging protests and march and encouraging people to walk around with their openly carried rifles to demonstrate that that activity is not against the law, but yet the open carry of a handgun it was against the law. Now, um, you know, a lot of people were in fear that they were going to get arrested. Uh, there were some arrests. Uh, of course, the anti-gun folks, the mad moms and everything else were exclaiming how horrible this is and you're terrifying people with your assault rifles. Uh, and I'm putting that in quotes. Uh, I, as a lawyer, do know the difference between an assault rifle and a regular semi-automatic sporting rifle. So I don't want anybody to get upset that I'm using that term, but that's the term that they all use. Uh, in fact, they used it they used it ad infinitum during the trial of Derek Poe um, without really any explanation um, as to what the difference was until we got a chance to cross-examine them and try to dispel some of the myths surrounding that term. So... Uh, so Derek Poe, the interesting part about this was that Derek Poe was not an activist. He was not involved in an open carry march. He wasn't really part of the open carry movement. He was just a guy who happened to own a store that sold gun accessories in Park Del Mall in Beaumont. Uh, he didn't, he kind of became an activist after this event. He sort of got, uh, thrust into the spotlight and, and the open carry activists sort of, uh, surrounded him and promoted him with regard to the injustice that was done to him. Uh, but basically what had happened was he had this store in Park Del Mall, which is located in Beaumont. He had it for about five months. And as part of his his uh, promotions, as part of his advertising that he did for his store, um, even though he was not allowed to sell guns, he wasn't an FFL. He did later become an FFL, but he wasn't an FFL man. Um, he just basically sold everything you can sell except for lower receivers. So he sold, he sold barrels, rails, scopes, uh, shirts. Uh, tactical gear, knives, clubs, tasers, you know, all the other stuff except for firearms. But he had this AR rifle that he had tricked out with all of the things that he sold in his store, and he used it for demo purposes in the store. Well, he didn't want to keep it in the store overnight uh, for obvious reasons. He didn't want it to get stolen, so every night he would take it home with him, and then he would bring it back to the store. Well, on this one day, December 28th, uh, 2013, uh, which is very interesting. The prosecution during the argument or during the case uh, kept saying December 28th, three days after Christmas, uh, as if that was the deciding fact that caused this to be an act of disorderly conduct instead of <laughs> anywhere, anywhere otherwise. Uh, in fact, uh, the jury actually said that that played against him uh, because they got tired of hearing the phrase three days after Christmas. Um, so that was 
So that really worked against him. Uh, but uh, he he walked out of the store. He was getting ready to go home. He had left a little early. He had left uh, one of his workers there to shut down the store. And he decided, just sort of off the top of his head, I want to go to GameStop to see if they've got any new games that I might be interested in. So he had his rifle slung on his back because he was taking it home, but then he decided to walk through the mall, and he walked to GameStop, and he was at GameStop, picked out a game, got in line, and then all of a sudden, four to eight Beaumont police officers swarming, take his rifle, start lecturing him about what a horrible person he is, how he scared everybody in the mall. They've gotten multiple calls to 911. He's terrified everybody. And that they're just taking his rifle for self-keeping, and they're going to keep it as evidence, and they're investigating for committing an act of disorderly conduct. Mm. Uh, two days later, they do, in fact, file a charge of disorderly conduct against him. And uh, just to uh, refresh your audience's idea of, of what the disorderly conduct statute is, Texas Penal Code 4201A8 says that it is against law to intentionally knowingly display a firearm or other dangerous weapon in a public place, and this is the kicker, in a manner calculated to alarm. Uh, now, unfortunately, the police, and, and not just these police in Beaumont, but pretty much all police across the state of Texas, the police and prosecutor's office, they always misread the statute. They believe that it says it is a crime to intentionally knowingly display a firearm or other deadly weapon in a public place uh, in a manner that causes alarm, and they completely leave out the word calculate, and of course that is the most important word because we do not have laws that are based upon somebody's arbitrary and subjective feelings as to what they feel when observing a particular activity. Okay, so when we come back from the break, Edwin, I'm going to you to talk about the calculated part and then also continue the story. You're talking about uh, what happened with this store owner uh, because, uh, yeah, this is a travesty. Everyone knows that in Texas, I mean, you can openly carry a long gun. That's That goes all the way back to 1870s. All right, so we're talking with Edwin Walker, the principal attorney with Texas and U.S. Law Show. We're also going to talk with uh, my attorney in Georgia, uh, Matt Kilgore. He's also a U.S. Law Show attorney. We're going to talk about my parents' case. Also got a major announcement for the gun industry. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. This is Maj Toure. You're listening to Come and Talk at Radio with Michael Cargill. If every talk radio program were the same, what would be the point? The Michael Berry Show is a little bit different. We're going to talk about politics, but we'll also talk about how great it is to live in Texas. Weekdays 5 to 7 on Talk 1370. It's the Michael Berry Show. Talk 1370. The right choice. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right. We're talking with uh, Edwin Walker, the Texas and U.S. Law Shell principal attorney. Later now, we're going to talk with our Georgia attorney, Matt Kilgore. Uh, but first, we're talking with Edwin. Edwin's talking to us about the Derek Poe case. Uh, he was a business owner in South Texas, and he was laying this out and what the statute actually says about, I guess, how this charge actually came about. Go ahead, Edwin. Uh, yeah, so so after it immediately happened, after the Beaumont police came in and took his rifle, they did not arrest him. They just simply took his rifle. 
Uh, and they had asked him, why are you even carrying this rifle? And he goes, well, I have a Second Amendment right to carry the rifle, uh, which, you know, he does. Uh, so that was that was where they honed in on the fact that he may be some sort of quote-unquote activist. <laughs> uh, and, of course, that is when Jefferson County made the decision that uh, activism on behalf of the Second Amendment had no place in Jefferson County. Wow, I guess uh, activism is a bad thing, huh? It is. Uh, in fact, it's very funny. Uh, during trial, you know, I told you that they said at the time that they had numerous calls to 911. And in fact, they told the media that they had numerous calls to 911. They put it in their police reports that they had numerous calls to 911. Uh, well, when we finally got to trial three and a half years later, uh, the evidence produced in court showed that they had one exactly one call to 911. Wow. And and that one call came from an off-duty police officer, uh, an off-duty Port Arthur police officer, who did not call to say that he was alarmed. He called to report that there was a guy in Parkdale Mall with a rifle across his back and that he must be one of those guys trying to make a point, a radical. And uh, so, wow. And so they responded on the basis of that. Wow. Uh, so, yes. So it, it all uh, that actually that actually wound up being very important to the jury as well, um, that um, that at the time this occurred, nobody appeared to be alarmed. And you're talking about um, Beaumont, Texas. Really? I mean, you're talking, yeah. you know, South Texas, Beaumont, Southeast Texas. Uh, you're talking about, you know, where people are, you know, are used to carrying firearms. We're not talking about Austin, where you live. Exactly. We're talking about a place that is blue collar, a place that. Uh, that 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 sort of you know you, you would have thought respected uh, people's rights, where uh, a lot of people who go Beaumont is the biggest city in a lot of these um, uh, the biggest I guess the closest big I'm using my quotes again big city in East Texas uh, that a lot of people who live in the country who you know go to to shop and do business and work and and so yeah you, you it is kind of amazing that a case like this did arise in Beaumont instead of say, Austin or maybe some sort of uh, affluent community in Dallas or somewhere like that. So um, so anyway, uh, Derek Poe, as soon as this happens, he starts to, you know, he's like, well, what the heck? They just, they came in, they swooped in, they took my rifle, which keep in mind, his rifle was loaded with the accessories he sold. So you deal with about $2,500 in merchandise that wow. the Beaumont police just carted off in their car. And once, once and law enforcement get their hands on, their, on your firearm, they don't want to give it up. They do not want to give it up. <laughs> and, so, uh, and so this you know this made him angry. And so he went on Facebook and made a rant about how the Beaumont police violated the Second Amendment rights. He started calling the Beaumont police, you know, when can I get my rifle back? Why have you got my rifle? Who took my rifle? I want to know what police officers were involved in this. And so in response, uh, in order to uh, not, I guess, guess, give credence to Derek Poe's ideas that he had been wronged, uh, they filed this charge of disorderly conduct against him. Oh, wow. Okay, so I got you. Yeah, so that they can verify, well, well, of course we did. You're committing, you're breaking the law, committing an act of disorderly conduct. Why wouldn't you do this? And so that's so, almost going to be similar, and someone said this, similar to C.J. Grisham's case in Temple, Texas, sort of. Uh, yeah, it is sort of. I mean, that's that is sort of the thing, um, which I believe that that was what they were originally going to charge CJ with. But then they said, no, we got a better case for uh, interference because he then apparently pulled at his rifle or did something that uh, interfered with them taking the rifle. Derek Poe did not. Derek Poe 
uh, as soon as he felt he as soon as he saw that he was surrounded by the police, as soon as he saw that one of them was attempting to take his rifle, he just kind of you know raised his arms and allowed them to lift it up over his head. And that's actually smart. It's it's better to comply at that point because you're not going to win that case on the side of the road. Correct. Uh, or in the GameStop in Park Del Mall. <laughs> so uh, so anyway, we represent him in this case. Um, you know, he's a Law Shield member, so we represented him. He was accused of a crime whenever he was doing nothing more than lawfully carrying a handgun or a firearm. And so, you know, we represented him. He got representation through the Texas Law Shield program. Uh, we went to court. Uh, we thought it was a good case to challenge the constitutionality of Texas Penal Code 4201A8, which is a terribly, terribly written statute. It mm. really is a horrible statute. Now, the thing about it is, is since it's a Class B misdemeanor, and it's pretty much the lowest of the, the firearms crimes out there, it, it rarely gets charged as an original charge. It's usually somebody that somebody that's usually a charge that they use to plead down people to. Like, say you have somebody charged with Class A deadly conduct, or you have somebody charged with terroristic threat, or you have somebody charged with some other sort of offense. Uh, they will offer as a plea bargain going all the way down to disorderly conduct, but it's rarely charged as a, as, an, as a charge in and of itself. So we said, look, this statute is unconstitutional in that it is void for vagueness and is unconstitutionally broad because it, it, it creates this crime, but yet it fails to define four key terms. Mm. It doesn't define display, it doesn't define manner, it doesn't define calculated, and it doesn't define alarm. And, of course, without definitions, without telling people what is or isn't specifically prohibited, it subjects itself to being abused and being misfiled. So we thought we had a pretty good facial challenge. Um, so we appealed it uh, by way of writ of habeas corpus, which means that you can appeal it before uh, any of the facts come out. You just say this law is unconstitutional on its face. Unfortunately, with regard to one of those, uh, with appealing on space. Okay, so, so, so let me make sure. So at first he was convicted. Is that correct? No, 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 no. He no? wasn't convicted. We filed a while the case while the charge was pending. Okay, we said it is unconstitutional for you to try to prosecute Derek Poe under this charge. Okay, because the chart the law itself is unconstitutionally vague. Gotcha. Okay. And um, the Court of Appeals disagreed. Um, they did not. I don't think they really paid attention to my First Amendment argument. Um, but they said, yes, there can be, you know, instances where this law is, is justly applied. Therefore, it's not unconstitutional on its face. So anyway, that took about two years. And that's why the case has lasted from December 13th all the way to this week. And see, someone and, – and when I was talking to someone about this case, they were like, well, that should have been just dismissed. I was like, well, no, it wasn't dismissed. This is a two-year case they're talking about. So, yeah, well, uh, three and a half years. And wow. that's why, you know, a lot of people said, well, what about the speedy trial? Well, you know, it wasn't uh, speedy. Tr there, is a, there is a lot of misconceptions about what your right to a speedy trial is. Um, it applies to uh, inmates, if I'm not mistaken. Well, yes, that, and that is one of the things. It, it does apply to people who are on bond, too. But, yes, you're right. It's mostly applicable to uh, to people who are to people who are incarcerated and they have no... Um, you know, and they they have no ability to be free while they're incarcerated. So yes, you are correct. Um, now, it mostly applies to. Uh, also, you have to make a speedy trial motion. Also, the defendant can't play a part in delaying the case. Uh, so, for example, you can't have a defendant that asks for numerous continuances and then goes, "Aha, I don't have my right to a speedy trial." So, 
So the defendant has to be completely innocent in all the pretrial activities. It's best if they're deprived of all their freedom by not being able to make bond. Um, and if you're able to show that there is some sort of unnecessary delay on the part of the prosecution, then that certainly helps. All right, right? we got a question for you, Edwin. So okay. without the appeal, there's a good chance it might have been dropped, though, right? Because that's that's what we've seen around the state. No, there is no, no chance it was going to be dropped. I mean, these Jefferson County prosecutors, they were they were true believers. They were <laughs> like, Derek Poe went into the mall. Basically, their only argument was he went to the mall, which he was already allowed to be there, of course. He went into the mall, and it was three days after Christmas. And so presumably, um, I guess if he would have not gone to the mall or it would have been, say, the middle of May. What's the purpose of saying three days after Christmas? All Because all the soccer moms were in, in the mall? Correct. Oh, uh, okay. He should have known that it was going to be more crowded three days after Christmas. Okay. Um, I, I don't – they didn't have really any any demographics to show that the mall was any more populated that day than any other day. But that was their theme that they were trying to put forward. So, yeah, no, if, if, if it had not been for the facial constitutional challenge, this case would have been tried in probably late 2014, early 2015. Wow. Uh, but I guarantee you it would have been tried. There was no way that they had they, – they never, they never uh, acted like the case had any potential of being dismissed without him – pleading guilty to disorderly conduct. You would think something so simple as, um, I mean, going back to all the way, like I said earlier, all the way to the 1870s, uh, being able to openly carry a long gun in Texas, rather concealed openly, you would think it's just, okay, simple cut and dry. Yes, but they were saying that it was so uncommon uh, that a person doing it should know that they were going to alarm somebody. Now, of course, that is a misstatement of the law. And believe me, I have never had to argue in a trial so many misstatements of the law. Uh, the way the prosecution stated the law, they pretty much uh, left Pete, left the jurors, attempted to leave the jurors with the impression that it was an element of the offense that people actually got alarmed. That is not an element of offense. Uh, that uh, all you had to do in order to calculate was that you knew or should have known somebody was going to be alarmed. That's certainly not the standard. Um, or they were saying that uh, basically if you displayed the rifle um, in, an, uh, in an effort to elicit any reaction, uh, and one of those reactions in the entire spectrum of reactions that you could get for displaying a firearm included people who were alarmed, uh, then you're in violation of the law too. Now, do you think uh, that the other DAs around the state of Texas learned something from this, not even try this? I am not sure. Uh, either they learn, they will learn not to try it, or they will learn how to try it better. Mm. So well, I don't like know, the latter. No, of course not. And that's why I really tried to. Um, you know, we've had two legislative sessions since Derek Poe was arrested. Uh, neither one. There, there seems to be no legislature legislator who seems to understand how poorly written this law is. Uh, and there doesn't, you know, anybody that I talk to, and believe me, I've, I've, I've talked to people, I've attempted to talk to people, and it's like they're, they're tone deaf. They, you know, they just Ed, don't understand how this law can be abused. And it's funny, Edwin, that's, a, that's like a whole other show in itself because I'm so disappointed. You would thought this session we would have got them to fix the um, school activities clause there and, and, and get that bill passed, but we couldn't get that done. Uh, there's some things that really need to get fixed in the legislature that just not – they didn't even attempt to address them. 
this session. Absolutely, absolutely. And and actually, you know, in our second topic, you want to talk about which I'll try to quickly wrap this up because I, I think we, I think I do think we got a quick question for you though. Okay. I forget what my question was, but <laughs> well, I was going to say too. You know, uh, Greg Abbott just called a special session, and you notice you notice out of his what was it twenty bullet points there? Uh, none of them are second amendment or second amendment related. Yeah, none of them. I mean, even so, though the Republican Party of Texas requested that you know he he bring forth constitutional carry, I mean, there's been a lot of other local parties that have uh, requested he bring forth constitutional carry. Um, you know, uh, it's it's pretty disappointing. Well, this may be one of those situations where. Uh, you know they they have a limited time to act. They only have five months every two years, and they you know they may in the back rooms where we're not allowed. Uh, they need to be back there talking. Look, you know we gave the gun folks a lot kind of stuff. Oh, I'm sure that's the conversation going on, but that that excuse is wearing thin, uh, especially yeah, no, when we're in session. You know, especially when we're up there talking about whistles on dinghies. I'm sure you're familiar with that. <laughs> <laughs> that, that that bill that passed and was heard on the floor four times uh i for federal grant money disadvantage yeah i mean it's just some of the stupid stuff they talk about and then they want to sit there and, and and cry about the lack of time it's just the excuses are wearing thin yes no i agree completely i mean believe me there is i there are so many places in the penal code not just about guns all right, now, now, Edwin, let's change gears a little bit and let's talk about coyotes and let's talk about dogs uh, because well, I uh, it. Finish up, oh, I want to finish up Derek Poe real quick. Okay, anyway, go ahead. Uh, Ninth Court of Appeals turned us down, said the statute is constitutional. Court of Criminal Appeals re- refused our petition for review, so case gets set on the trial docket. Uh, court tries it this week. The DA's office is absolutely firmly convinced that they are going to win this case. Uh, during final arguments and jury deliberations, they have the elected DA. They have other muckety mucks from Jefferson County sitting <laughs> in the audience, waiting with bated breath to see the uh, uh, to see the final uh, act conviction of Derek Poe. And the jury, thank goodness, jury, they understood our arguments. They understood what the law was. They understood the motivation of Jefferson County, and uh, they came back with a not guilty less than ten minutes in less than ten minutes of deliberation. Wow, that's impressive. Ten minutes, not guilty. Yes. That's good. That's and that shows that hey, Jefferson County, you just wasted our time. Exactly, and and basically the, the state's final argument was: please convict Derek Poe to show him and other people like him that you can't carry your rifle in Jefferson County. Wow. That's impressive. Yes. Well, good job to Texas and U.S. Law Shield because uh, they definitely, uh, you know, set an example uh, for what should happen. You know what? You know, we, we should be we really shouldn't be in that situation in the first place. He, he should have never, you know, had to be subjected to any of that at all. Losing his firearm, uh, getting arrested or detained or whatever at all. Yeah, because for three and a half years, um, you know, he lost possession of his twenty five hundred dollar rifle. Uh, Parkdale Mall uh, used this as a subterfuge to terminate his lease and kick him out. He got his uh, CHL, now LTC, uh, suspended for the last three and a half years. Wow. Um, it's been a real, you know, and the thing is, is that he is a decorated combat veteran. Now, is there a you know, civil he, case? Is is he planning on suing? No. Unfortunately, Texas law really doesn't provide you for an avenue to sue. Uh, in fact, there was a case in the Fifth Circuit, the Federal Fifth Circuit, which actually kind of raised the bar to sue. Because keep in mind, um, all the folks involved, the Beaumont Police, the Jefferson County District Attorney's Office, they all have qualified immunity, which basically says that they can do whatever they want to people and you can't sue them. 
The only way that you can get a recovery against the government is if you show that they knew that they were violating your rights at the time that they did their act uh, and that they engaged in uh, unreasonable behavior in light of not knowing. Now, the law has a bunch of excuses. They can say that you didn't know that you're violating your civil rights. They can say that they were confused as to what your rights were. Uh, or they can say that there was a provision of the law that provided them some colorable reason to violate your rights. Um, so, so winning a civil case against the government or false prosecution or violation of civil rights is is extremely difficult, if not unheard of. I mean, and you got to really have some physical, you know, damages like somebody was beat to death, things like that. Well, maybe if we push uh, a bill that changes that, maybe some of our gun rights will start getting uh, pushed down the pipeline then. Maybe they'll, maybe, maybe they'll stop fighting us there and fight us somewhere else. I would love to change the laws regarding qualified immunity. I mean, it is it is something, I mean, in itself is a very, very abused uh, statute. All right, we're talking with Edwin Walker. He's the principal attorney with Texas and U.S. Law Shield. He was talking to us about Derek Poe and the case uh, that he had against Jefferson County or Jefferson County had against him. And also coming up in the hour, we're going to talk with uh, Matt Kilgore. He's the attorney in Georgia. He's going to talk about my parents' case and how there are some pros and cons uh, with uh, defending yourself inside the home. And also, Edwin's going to talk to us about coyotes and dogs. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk. Folks, this is Doug Man Jones. <laughs> and I get my gun news from Michael Cargill at Come and Talking. We know Austin traffic can be a challenge. Beat the commute with time saver traffic. Mornings and afternoons on Talk 1370. The right choice. This is a man's world. This is a man's world. But it wouldn't be nothing. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, so we're talking with Edwin Walker. He's the principal attorney with Texas and U.S. Law Shield. And Edwin's going to talk to us now about uh, dogs. We need to talk about dogs. Let's talk, Edwin, about coyotes, first of all, because coyotes are are on the move here in in Austin area. And people are afraid because uh, I guess some people have had uh, their dogs attacked by coyotes. And they want to know, can they shoot the coyote? Well, that's a great question. And the thing about it is, is that um, there's no law that specifically gives you the ability to shoot a dog or coyote, and it's the shoot part that I'm concerned with. Uh, Because there is a law, uh, Texas Health and Safety Code 82.013, that allows you to kill a dog or coyote that is attacking your, uh, your livestock, your domestic animals, or your fowl. Now, if you, uh, I think it's interesting, it does not allow you to kill a dog or coyote is attacking a human being, uh, but it does protect livestock, domestic animals, and fowls. Okay, so let me make sure I have this right. So if a coyote is attacking my dog, I can defend my dog and, and shoot the coyote? Uh, yes. Okay. But what if, and I know you were getting ready to get into something else, but what if someone's trying to steal my dog? 
can I? Oh, well, that's that's completely different. No, you could not shoot somebody stealing your dog. Well, well isn't that I, your, I, isn't that your get, property? Because yeah, I get that question a lot. Well, they'd have to, yeah, like, it, physically it, attack you. Okay, it is your property. All right, it is your property, and Texas law does allow the use of deadly force for uh, burglary, uh, robbery, um, or theft during the nighttime if the property cannot be protected or recovered through any other reasonable means. So you don't get a legal presumption. Um, if somebody comes into your yard to steal your dog during the day, um, you're explicitly prohibited from using deadly force against them. Because stealing the uh, dog is theft, and you can only use deadly force with theft at night, not theft during the daytime. What if I shoot him in the leg? No, if you shoot, if you shoot the gun, even if it hits the ground in front of them, mm. uh, that's still going to be considered to be deadly force. Okay. Now, well, what if a dog is attacking me? Can I shoot the dog? Well, you can. This is where this is where the law gets really difficult, and this is where our legislature once again has failed us, because there is no general uh, defense to killing or shooting a dog that is attacking you. It doesn't exist. You have to either try to rely on some other portion of the penal code, which there are not very many. Uh, or, in fact, I don't even know if there's any at all. There's a, there's a portion that describes you can you can use you can shoot a gun if it's defending yourself against a dangerous wild animal. Uh, with with regard to the charge of disorderly conduct shooting a gun, you can shoot a dangerous wild animal that is attacking yourself and be you use it as a defense to the defense of cruelty to animals. But that's what I meant whenever I said the whole shooting versus killing thing is where the real distinction lies. Because you can kill these animals, and you won't have to worry about the repercussions about the killing of the animal, but it's the shooting that I really worry about that's going to get people in trouble. Right. It's discharging that firearm, correct? Correct. So I'd have to pull out my knife and stab this animal to death. Then you can do that, yes. Because it's the shooting. It's the shooting part that people need to focus on. Now, whenever they say... You know, well, can I kill it? Well, yes, you can kill it, but we're specifically talking about with a gun. It's the gun part where you're running the risk because there is there's there's a disorderly conduct law that says you can't shoot a gun. There's a deadly conduct law that says you can't shoot a gun. There's a law that says you can't shoot a gun in a city of over 100,000 people. Every single city has municipal statutes against shooting guns. Mm. The shooting of the gun part that gets people in trouble, not the resulting dead animal. So it's just like if you, you know, you had a tree in your yard, you wanted to shoot your tree for some reason. Can you go up and stick a knife in your tree? Yeah, absolutely. All day, every day, not even committing any violation of law. Mm. Can you go up to your tree and beat it with a club? Yes, all day, every day, not a violation of law. But if you go into your front yard and you pull out your gun and you shoot the tree in your front yard, do you think you might get charged? Yes. Yes, you will get charged. So it's the shooting of the gun where people don't realize that's where the risk is, not really in the killing of the animal. It's the shooting of the gun is where it brings in the risk. So if, if this goes to like court and you're in front of the jury, uh, if I was a jury member, there's no way I could find you guilty for discharge of a firearm in a city limits. But you know jurors are dumb. So, you can't, de- you yeah. can't put it in the hands of the jury. Well, is, so how do, you go, how do you go and defend that? charge because i mean you would get charged so how do you go and defend that one edwin what you would have to do is there is a statute defense in the penal code called necessity and necessity says that it is okay to violate a law if you are trying to prevent a greater harm 
So if you said, I had to shoot my gun, first of all, I had to kill this dog. The only means I had available to kill this dog was my gun. And the reason I had to kill this dog was because if I didn't, it was going to kill me or my kid. And so under the defense of necessity, yes, I broke the law by discharging a firearm in the city limits. However, it was uh, well, I only did it to prevent a greater harm. That is the death of me or kid. And see, what I, rec- what, I, what I recommend people do, Edwin, is get a stun gun. The, just the sound of the stun gun, that dog is going to go the other direction. And that way you don't have to worry about pulling out a gun or anything like that. Um, You're and, correct. And it, they it, it works great. With, they, they, make, they even make a cane, a walking cane with uh, stun guns on it, um, which I have one. I gave one to my father because he walks around the neighborhood sometimes. Now, that's not going to get confused with a club, is it? Huh? Could that get, get confused with a club? I don't want to get charged with unlawfully carrying the club. Not if you're using it as a cane. Okay. <laughs> so or, now if you walked around swinging it at people, then yes, it's a club. <laughs> if you use it to walk with, then no, it's cane. See, that's, uh, that's so, why I just live so, in the country. Coyote comes out, you shoot it. <laughs> and that's the interesting part about this statutory authorization, uh, Health and Safety Code 8, 822.013, is that it statutorily authorizes a person to kill a dog or coyote that is attacking the person's livestock, domestic animals, and fowls. Now, the interesting thing about this is that several years ago, there was a man who killed a dog who had attacked his dog, and he uh, was relying on this defense, and the trial court didn't allow him to get a, to, to submit it as a jury charge. And he said that was error. It went all the way to the Court of Criminal Appeals, and the Court of Criminal Appeals agreed with him. said even though it's an authorization, even though it's not in the penal code, it can constitute a defense to a crime and the trial court should have given that jury instruction to the jury that if he was uh, defending his dog, his his livestock, domestic animal, or fowl, then he should have been given this instruction. The interesting thing is, is that in that particular case, that one and only case where the uh, uh, where the court of criminal appeals has had an opportunity to re- review that statute, he stabbed the dog and killed it. He did mm. not use a gun. He stabbed it. Um, so mental note, come September the 1st, 2017, I'm coming out with the, the biggest knife I can have. Katana I, sword, baby. I'm going to be a ninja That's in the right. dark. Just walk, <laughs> walk around with your samurai sword. Come you September right. the 1st, 2017, stabbing yeah. all the coyotes I see. Or just live in the Correct. country like me and you can shoot them still. <laughs> Correct. So, yeah, and the thing about it is, is the legislature, and this was sort of, I have tried now for three legislative sessions to get somebody to pay attention to me. I don't know if you recall, but back in December, you know, I was on your show with uh, retiring representative uh, Alan Fletcher, and he thought that getting animals included in the self-defense statute was a great idea, that nobody should be opposed to that. I tried that. I submitted a proposed, I wrote up my own bill. I showed it to many lawyers who said, yeah, this looks good to us. Uh, Sent it to a couple of different reps, had one rep that was interested in it, sent it to legislative council, and they go, hey, here's the bill that we got back from legislative council. What do you think of this? And it was terrible. It mm. was awful. They had taken my brilliant idea, which only altered, I think, four words of the current statute. And instead of making it a general defense in Chapter 9 or adding it to the general self-defense statute in Chapter 9, uh, they tried to expand the statutory defense mm. under deadly conduct, which would then only apply – to the charge under deadly conduct, or I mean, sorry, disorderly conduct, and they tried to alter the defense under the cruelty to animal statute, 
which again would only apply to the cruelty to animal statute. Wow. So it didn't do anything with regard to the other stuff that I am worried about, not those two statutes, because those two statutes already have colorable defenses to them. They don't need any bolstering of those defenses. Um, it's these other crimes that don't have any defenses to them at all. Right. Need help. And so it, it just it boggled my mind how oblivious uh, people can be and not seeing the point of the effect that these laws have as they're written and that they're terribly written. They need to be rewritten, reexamined. I tell you what, I'm I'm going to be the answer to your prayers. I got a solution for you for next session, and we're going to make it happen this time. Okay. We, we have two years to plan for it, and it's going to be awesome. I look forward to that. So, uh, yeah, so your listeners, if they're worried about coyotes, um, I would say absolutely, um, you know, pack your firearm. Uh, you know, if you shoot a coyote, we can find a way to work around it. Uh, if you want to be really safe while you're out walking, take your animal with you because for some reason Texas law has given more protection to your animal than they have to you. Uh, so, and, you know, if you use your gun, uh, more power to you. That's prob- that is absolutely the safest way to do it. I do not want to engage in hand-to-hand combat with a coyote. Um, so I would not feel safe trying to attempting to stab a coyote who is attacking me. I'd much rather have the option of shooting it to be absolutely safe. And if the authorities come down on you for that, um, you know, make sure you're a member of Texas Law Shield and you'll get defended on that. All right. Awesome. Man, I'll tell you what. Thank you, Edwin. I really appreciate that. Uh, talking to us about uh, coyotes and dogs and just animals in general and what you can and cannot do. As always, uh, with Texas and U.S. Law Shield, if you don't have Texas and U.S. Law Shield, I'm telling you now, you might want to get it. Don't wait until something happens and then decide you're going to need an attorney. Uh, then it's too late. It's going to cost you a little money. Go ahead and get Texas Law Shield right now uh, and then find out you know, what happens after bang because uh, you're going to need someone's help. You're going to need an attorney to help you. Uh, thank you, Edwin. I really appreciate it. And you yeah. definitely have a, a, a wonderful rest of your weekend. Well, thank you, Mike, for having me on your show. It's always a pleasure. And sorry I took up so much time. I really tried to keep my comments brief. But Oh, no, you did they, great. You did great. You kid me at the office that it's impossible for me to keep my comments brief. <laughs> <laughs> no, you did awesome. Thank you, Edwin. Okay, Mike. You take care. All right, sir. All right, so now I'm going to bring it to the conversation, Matt. Matt Kilgore, he's my attorney in Georgia. Matt is the attorney that actually is defending my parents or defended my parents in their uh, the home invasion that they were subjected to. Uh, so, Matt Kilgore, welcome to come and talk it, sir. Hey, Mike, how you doing? All right, so we only got two minutes before we go into a hard break and then get you out of there again. But um, before we, we do that... Um, Matt, tell us a little bit about uh, Gwinnett County in Georgia and what type of county that is. Gwinnett County is a metro Atlanta uh, county. It's got a, probably almost a million residents, uh, and, and that's just me spitballing that number, but it's an enormous county. It's one of the biggest counties that makes up metro Atlanta. You've got Gwinnett, Fulton, DeKalb, Cobb, you know, uh, Clayton, Fayette counties. Um, and it's uh, mostly it's, it's a suburb of Atlanta. There are a few larger towns, Lawrenceville, Snellville, and Snellville is actually where your parents reside, and that's uh, you know, we had to deal with the Gwinnett County Police. Uh, Georgia allows you to have city police, county police, county sheriff. Uh, you've got park rangers. I mean, you can't swing a dead cat in Georgia and not hit a police officer. Wow. And I'll tell you what, uh, last summer, this uh, you know, this guy, actually three of them, decided that they were going to make an attempt to crawl through 
uh, or actually break into my parents' home. Um, and the one guy, they, he just, they just could not get into the first floor of the f- home at all. So they decided to break into the shed and then take a ladder out of the shed and lay that ladder against the house and climb onto the second floor of the home and climb through my parents' master bathroom window. We come back from the break. We're going to talk about that with uh, my parents' attorney, my attorney in Georgia, Matt Kilgore, uh, with U.S. Law Shield attorney, and we're going to break that case down. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Keep up with the latest breaking news in Austin and around the world. Take a moment to make sure you're following us on Twitter at Talk 1370. Let the tweeting begin. Just one more way to stay connected with Talk 1370. The right choice. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, so we're back, and we're going to talk about my parents' case in Georgia, uh, where uh, three guys spent about 45 minutes to an hour trying to break into my parents' home. I couldn't get into the first floor of the home, so they took all the screens off the windows on the first floor, couldn't get inside. So they broke into the shed, took a ladder out of the shed, laid that ladder against the house, climbed into the second floor of the home, and crawled through the master bathroom window that was cracked. And so my dad uh, heard that noise, checked on my mother who was sleeping, the cats laying down sleeping between them, uh, the dogs sleeping. So it's not my mother, it's not the cats, not the dog. He's wondering, well, who's making that noise in the master bathroom? So he grabbed his forty caliber, he stepped over to the bathroom there, looked around the corner, saw this light coming through the window, and then he saw someone's head squeezing through that window coming through the master bathroom. He fired one single shot, shot him in the face, and stopped him right there. And so at the sound of that gunshot, my mother jumped up. Uh, she first she said, you know, oh, my God, would you, did you shoot yourself in the foot is what she really said. You guys know that? Yeah. <laughs> That's what she really said. And she, she then uh, ran over to the window there and there was a there's a hole in the blind. She said, oh, my God, you're going to change that. You're going to change my blinds first thing in the morning. <laughs> is what she really said also. And, yeah, and, I don't think that's going to happen. All right, right. <laughs> and then she, then she she pulled the blinds, uh, the little cord on the blinds, she looked out the window, and he saw, she saw someone laying, you know, laying out that window. She she immediately grabbed the phone, dialed 911. Uh, she called, uh, and she told 911 dispatcher that uh, someone's trying to break into their home. Um, they had to stop them. And she told them her name, her address, and then that was it. And eventually hung up the phone. Well, then after she did that, she called me. When she called me, I went to straight instructor mode. Uh, she called me. I jumped up out of bed. I said, oh, my goodness. Okay, did you – is there anyone else inside the home? And she said, no. I said, are you sure there's no one else inside the home? She said, no, there's no one else inside the home. I said, okay, good. Now, did you call 911 before you called me? And she said, yes. I said, okay, yeah, good. Now, take that gun. I want you to go downstairs, and then I want you to put the gun down and then greet the police. Do not have a gun in your hand. When the police arrive and then also remember you have a right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in the court of law. Remember your rights. Too many people have died for you to have those rights. Don't be so eager to give them up. So then and I'm, I'm going to let uh, our attorney, uh, Matt Kilgore, uh, take it from there because he, he has a little more insight of what happened. Well, thanks, Mike. I appreciate that. And, you know, your uh, mother and father have been kind enough to allow us to uh, to share their story. And I know you've done it several times. 
uh, yourself on air and uh, in teaching, and we appreciate you coming to Georgia about a month ago and teaching a big class for us out here in Georgia. But, no, you're exactly right. Uh, I think your mother and your father did everything the way that uh, – that we uh, make sure that our clients do it, and I know the way that Law Shield does it as well. You know, my partner Mike Hawkins and I are the program attorneys here in Georgia for U.S. Law Shield, and Law Shield teaches control the threat, call 911, return the firearm to safekeeping, call your lawyer. And that's exactly what your mother and father did and got us involved fairly early in the process. Now, what complicated it for us is your mom and dad chose the one weekend out of the entire year when my wife and I were out of the country. <laughs> <laughs> Just uh, uh, rotten timing uh, that they would choose to be uh, burgled right at that particular time. But the good news is, is the way that the, the law show program at least is set up in Georgia, I know it's set up similarly in Texas, is that they got to us immediately, and we put our action plan into place. Now, my wife and I happened to be in the Caribbean, and uh, I got the call at 4.30 in the morning. And by the time I had gotten the call... Your mom and your dad had already been transported to the Gwinnett County Police Headquarters. And I got in, and, and we were still a little short on information. I thought it was your mom that had uh, repelled an intruder. And she said, no, 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 it's, it's my husband. I said, all right, well, where is he? I said, well, he, he's, he's meeting with police right now. I said, all right, put me on the telephone with uh, the uh, investigator that's investigating this right now. I put him on the telephone. I said, sir, I'm the lawyer. I've already been retained. Uh, we're getting somebody out there immediately. Please, no more questions until we can get a lawyer out there. And the officer even told me, the investigator told me, Mr. Kilgo, don't worry. Uh, we're almost done here. We're just taking a few quick questions, but actually we're helping with the issues at the home. And by the issues at the home, they were – you know, making sure that to take care of the deceased, the gentleman's body had fallen out onto the second floor uh, roof, the roof underneath your parents' window, and stuck there. So they had to pull him off the roof. They had to hose down the building. Uh, but they did all that. And, and he even told me at that time, this is, you know, 4.30 in the morning, maybe two hours after it happened. Mr. Kilgo, we think everything's okay. The, uh, Mr. Walker did everything right. He was repelling an invasion of his home. He's authorized to do that by law. And I said, look, I understand that you think he did it right, but I'm the lawyer. I still need to make sure that we do everything right. So please, no more questions. He said, that's fine. We're going to give them a ride home, and then we'll have investigators contact you. I called my partner. My partner was on standby maybe 10 miles away from where they were. Everything went just went very smoothly that morning, and then we began our work with the police. And even from that very first morning, the police, I know we're telling you, Mike, and you may want to speak to that. They were also telling us, look, this is totally justified. We're writing it up as a justified shooting of someone who was invading the home. But even then, your listeners may be surprised, and some of them may not be surprised to find out, it took Gwinnett County almost nine months to fully exonerate your dad. And by that, I mean even when the police told us the morning of the shooting that no charges would be filed and it was justified, that case still had to be sent over to the district attorney's office. And you know the DA. I know the DA. They're going to take their time. They want to make sure they do everything right. Nine months it took their investigators before we received a letter exonerating your dad of any criminal purpose. Now tell the listeners why you were so concerned about Gwinnett County. 
why that county well, in particular? Gwinnett County is a very, very, very tough county for criminals, and and rightly so. You know, Danny Porter is the DA there. He's been the DA for quite a while. He's a good guy. He, he tries to serve the public, and because of that, he takes every case seriously. You know, I remember, and this is just a little anecdote, there was maybe 10 years ago a father in Gwinnett County who was charged with vehicular homicide because he had bald tires on his daughter's car. He let his daughter drive a car that had bald tires. She had an accident, killed somebody. They charged the father with vehicular homicide. Wow. That's, that's how tough Gwinnett County is. Wow. And so from the very beginning, when I heard homicide, Gwinnett County, that's when we go into action to, um, to make sure that we did everything right to fully protect your mother and your father. So yeah, that's it, like Wilco here. Right. It's like okay. Williamson County. You, you can't take any chances whatsoever. <laughs> can't take any chances. Too, too much at stake in the situation, even if the police are telling us from the beginning, look, Matt, Mr. Kilgo, they're, they're justified. Well, okay, that's fine. But you ain't the DA. Uh, we need to get to the DA, and we need to. And, and I appreciate. Would, would you mind putting that in writing, by the way? Uh, you know, making sure that we had all of our, our our officers who were saying that, making sure we had a list of all those names, making sure we had contact information for them, so we could go back later on and, and say, look, we need you to talk to the DA's office. We need you to help the DA make the right decision to show the people of Gwinnett County that it's okay to protect themselves. And that's exactly what happened, uh, and that's exactly why the, the, the DA got it right. And, you know, Danny Porter did a great job. They did a very thorough investigation. But a lot of times that's what concerns people the most. Even if they've done something completely justified, they still have to go through the process. And that's what I tell my clients. Even if you've done nothing wrong, you can still be arrested. And thankfully, your father wasn't arrested. Your mother wasn't arrested. No arrests were made. Uh, but even in that scenario, you wake the lawyer up at 4.30 in the morning, your client's already being interrogated by the police. And keep in mind, they were pulled out of the house because the entire house is a crime scene, and they were put in separate police vehicles. They were separated. Exactly. Exactly. You know, And that's when I tell people, even if they don't ask you any questions, they don't have to read you Miranda. And they're going to put you in a police vehicle, and guess what? There's a video camera in that vehicle, and it looks forward, and it probably looks rearward as well. And it's recording audio, everything you say. Everything you say. I, I make the joke that when you call 911, they start recording when you hit that first one. And, and I've had several people say, well, is that true? I said, well, it's an it's a, it's a joke. But what it really means is everything you say is being recorded. It's being audio taped, videotaped. It's made a, po a portion of a police report. And I have, you know, I have a lot of respect for police officers, but let's face it, there's never been a police report that makes anybody but a police officer look good, right? <laughs> You're either the victim or the bad guy. Now, you can do something about being the bad guy, but you can't always do something about being the victim. So in that scenario, if you are the victim, make sure that you do what you can to limit what you say until you have an attorney there with you who can help you. And it's usually not what you do that gets you in trouble. It's usually what you say. Exactly. That's exactly right. You know, I've, I've had clients who have done the right thing and said the wrong thing, and it happened to them. You know, it's and it's a combination of all of those things. You need to say the right thing. You need to do the right thing. And the right thing, control that threat. Call 911 and tell them, this is, I, I, this is me. 
This is where I am. I'm the victim of a crime. Please send police assistance. Hang up that phone and wait for your lawyer to get there. Those are the most important things you can do. Because you can get yourself in trouble on the 911 call, and you can get yourself in trouble when the, when the police arrive. That's, right. that's absolutely true. You know, I tell people, don't say anything other than those four things, who you are, where you are, that you're the victim, and to send police assistance. You know, if your husband or your wife comes downstairs and says, baby, what happened? Don't make them a witness. Don't make your son or your daughter a witness. Mm. Don't make your neighbor a witness when your neighbor calls over and says, hey, what y'all doing over there? You know, don't say anything to anyone. Your conversation with me is the only protected conversation that you're going to have. So make sure to protect yourself after you've protected yourself. And that, I think, you can speak to this, Mike. That's what Law Shield stands for. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I tell you, you guys are doing some wonderful work there in Georgia. Uh, you also keep up to date on what's happening with the Georgia because uh, you guys go. I don't know how often you guys go in session there uh, with your legislatures. We start in January and I think they have 31 days or 41 days. Okay. Uh, and we're usually done by mid-March, 1st of April. But we've got some great changes in Georgia law. You know, Georgia used to be a very restrictive state for individuals who lawfully carry. Uh, but, but starting in 2010 and again in 2014, the tide has sort of changed, and Georgia has given back to its residents many of the rights that have existed since the Second Amendment was ratified in what, 1789, 1790, when the Bill of Rights was ratified. Right. Uh, starting July 1st of this year, we will have campus carry. Uh, which means that in any public institution, not private schools, but in public institutions of secondary education, your colleges and universities, uh, you can carry uh, in certain places. It must be concealed. You must be what we call a weapons carry license holder. Uh, so uh, campus carry is coming online. We have some great new laws with reciprocity. You know, Georgia has reciprocity with 32 different states, uh, Texas being one of them. Uh, as a matter of fact, you can carry lawfully. If, if you were driving to visit your parents, I'm pretty sure you could go through every state between Texas and Georgia and not have any trouble. That, that is correct. Uh, and, you know, Georgia residents are the exact same way. I can come over and visit you in Texas, and I'm not going to have any trouble when I get there or in between because I'm a weapons carry license holder here in Georgia. Uh, now, the General Assembly, and that's what we call our legislature, went in and made some changes to Georgia law to, to clear up some hiccups between us and other states, Georgia will allow a weapons carry license at the age of 21 or older, or even as early as the age of 18 if you are current active duty or honorably discharged military. Well, Virginia doesn't allow that, and this was a fix to help Virginia residents and Georgia residents in reciprocal carry. Virginia doesn't allow anyone under 21. And since Virginia doesn't allow anyone under 21, but Georgia does, Georgia said, well, guess what, Virginia, you can't carry here. Mm. So we had, to, we had to fix that issue, and we did fix that issue. And, uh, you know, a little nod to, uh, to your state knife, I guess, the Bowie knife. Yes. Uh, in, in Georgia, before, before July 1st, or, or, you know, prior to July 1st of this year, you had to have a weapons carry license to carry a knife over five inches uh, in blade length. And now, as of July 1st, it's a blade of 12 inches or more, you have to have a weapons carry license. So those Bowie knives, uh, we, we won't need weapons carry licenses for those anymore. So as long as they're under 12 inches starting July the 1st? Starting July the 1st, under 12 inches in length when attached to a handle and fashioned for the purpose of offense or defense, you will not need a weapons carry license. 
Wow. Okay, Georgia's they're, they're getting close because Texas, we actually just got rid of our illegal knives starting September the 1st. So starting okay, September yeah. 1st, we won't have any illegal knives. Yeah, so we're we're getting a little bit closer, getting a little bit closer on the knives. You know, we've been at the forefront with uh, lawful open carry and concealed carry, uh, both with a weapons carry license and without a weapons carry license, for quite a few years now. Um, so, you know, Georgia does a lot to protect their residents and their visitors and their home and their cars and their places of uh, employment, even without a weapons carry license. So from that perspective, Georgia's a great state. And not only that, if any of your uh, listeners are thinking about moving to Georgia, beginning July 1st, there's a change in the law that will allow them to keep their Texas license for up to 90 days before they change over to the Georgia license. So it's a little bit more leeway given so that you have an opportunity to sort of get your feet on the ground and, and know what you're about before you go into the probate court and get that weapons carry license. Okay, so uh, all right. So when you move to Georgia, if you move to Georgia from Texas, you have 90 days. You'll starting when? July 1st. July 1st, you'll have 90 days to switch that license over to a Georgia carry license. Absolutely. I got a question for you. Dylan, with the, uh, the bar signage, the 51%, Georgia is one of the four states that you're allowed to conceal carry your your firearm inside of a bar. That's Texas, right. we're not allowed to do that. Do you know how Georgia went about getting that uh, getting that passed? Because I'd love to get rid of this fifty one percent sign here in Texas. I don't know much about the mechanics of how it passed. I know there were some changes made in two thousand eight and mm-hmm. two thousand ten. I believe it was the two thousand ten changes that yes. most affected it. But now in Georgia, if you have a weapons carry license, you can carry on any private property without fear of being arrested. Now, you can carry openly or concealed any private property and some government buildings so long as they don't have law enforcement screening. Now, Georgia, the the, the legislature here had to balance our Second Amendment rights with a property owner's First Amendment right to free exercise of their property. So you can carry, and you don't have to ask permission, but if the private property owner or the person in legal control of the property asks you to leave, then you must leave. And if you don't, it's what we call criminal trespass. Yeah, same same, same here. Yeah, so Georgia has done away with a lot of those barriers. There are no uh, 30-06 signs here. There's no 51% law here. You can carry in a bar. You can carry while you're drinking, and it's a lot like drinking and driving, what we call DUI. You cannot uh, use your firearm while under the influence except that protection of yourself or someone else, the the defense of justification. You're still justified uh, in using your firearm. It doesn't keep you from protecting yourself. You just can't shoot while you're under the influence under any other circumstances. So are you held to a much higher standard if you're a, a carry license holder? and you are carrying your firearm and you're intoxicated. Um, what do you mean by that, Mike? Because in, in Texas, if you're a license holder and you have a handgun mm-hmm. and you're intoxicated, you're held to a much higher standard. It's, uh, there's no limit. There's no .08. Yeah, no it's, seven, yeah it's, so it's not it's even to intoxicated. the cop's discretion, really. Right. It's up to the cop. Yeah, not necessarily. Okay. Now, what I will say is that in that situation, it, it's much like driving And nothing good happens after midnight. So if you are stopped and a police officer smells alcohol in your breath, 
you're most likely going to jail for DUI, whether you're actually DUI or not. And the same rules tend to apply here. I would think that if you're in a bar, you've got that firearm up on the table where everyone can see it, and you're pounding down Jägermeister with a beer chaser, and the police officer comes in, yeah, even if you haven't used that firearm, guess what? You're probably going to take a free ride that night. Uh, and if it's not for unlawful carry, uh, it's going to be for disorderly conduct. It's going to be for littering in a no littering zone, humming in a whistle zone. You know, they're, they're going to figure out a reason to arrest you. That's one of the basic rules that I tell my clients. I've been in criminal law since I started practice almost 20 years ago, prosecuting and now defending. And one of the cardinal rules of criminal defense is it doesn't matter if you've done anything wrong or not. If a police officer wants to arrest you, you're going to jail. Mm. Uh, that's, the, that's the number one cardinal rule I tell my clients. Number two cardinal rule is everyone has the right to remain silent, but very few people have the ability to do so. <laughs> so uh, that's, that's one thing, that I, I, and I vacillate between making that the number two rule and the number one rule. So there's not necessarily a written higher standard, uh, but you can be held under the influence. It's what we call less safe. Uh, versus uh, being per se, being above a certain legal limit versus being less safe, any alcohol that makes your actions less safe. So if you were to say I was in Georgia, I'm a Georgia resident whatnot, and I actually got pulled over and arrested for DWI, will you get a weapons charge on top of that? Because here in Texas, if you got arrested for a DWI, you're getting stuck with a DWI, but you're also getting an unlawful possession of a firearm charge as well. Not not necessarily here, and I certainly don't want to create a trend. Uh, but, but, uh, but no, you know, in Georgia, you don't have to have a weapons carry license to carry in your car so long as you're not prohibited from possessing a firearm. And it's those four classic prohibitions. I call them four Fs. You can't be a felon. You can't be a first offender probationer. You cannot have had a misdemeanor conviction of domestic violence battery. Uh, and you can't be a juvenile. And I know that's not an F, but it's easier to remember four Fs and three Fs and a J. So uh, so long as you're not one of those prohibited individuals, you can possess a firearm in Georgia uh, without a weapons carry license. And you never need one for a long gun like a rifle or a shotgun. Matter of fact, in Georgia, you can carry a long gun uh, uh, concealed so long as it's not loaded. And there's only one statute in Georgia that addresses how a firearm is loaded. And loaded in that statute means a round in the chamber. Okay, say that, say that one more time because that's a little different than Texas. So if it's openly carried, you could have a round in the chamber, but if it's concealed, you couldn't? No, what that means is, is if you, let's say you have a long gun, you have a rifle, okay. and you're walking down the street with it, you do not have to have a weapons carry license for a long rifle, for, for a rifle, for a long gun. Correct. Not only that, you can carry it concealed so long as it isn't loaded. Now the question becomes, what is loaded? In Georgia, there's only one statute that addresses whether a firearm is loaded, and that means when there's a round in the chamber. So <laughs> technically, you could carry uh, Israeli carry, I think is what Masada Ayyub calls that. You, know? mm -hmm. uh, you, you carry with a full magazine, a uh, magazine seated in the well, no round in the chamber. That is an unloaded firearm. Okay. All right. Wow. That that's that just seems a little ridiculous. Yeah, I'm gonna have to. Di <laughs> I have to digest that one. I'm gonna have to listen to the show again. <laughs> listen to you explain that's that great. one more time that's to digest crazy. that one. Because that, yeah, that's crazy. It. 
it, it, it is, I mean, if you think about it, it is a little bit crazy. But, you know, like I said, Georgia has done a lot to give back to their uh, citizens the rights that they had at the, the founding of our institutions of government. You know, um, you can carry a firearm. You can carry a rifle down the street without a weapons carry license. You can carry one in your home, in your car, or in your place of business without a weapons carry license. Now, what about on private property? How can a person prohibit you from carrying on private property, like the the movie theater, if they didn't want any guns in the movie theater? You know, that's a good question. I had a young lady come up to me once, and she said, you know, Matt, somebody stopped me at the movie theater a couple of days ago and asked me if I could, he could go through my purse to look from, to see if I had a gun. And I said, well, that's unfortunate. I said, well, well what happened? She said, well, I told him to go to H-E-L-L. <laughs> And I said, well, that's a good thing you did because the law does not allow just anyone to ask you. They can't search you unless they're a law enforcement officer and they have some probable cause to believe that you have committed or are about to commit a crime. But let's say you go to your local movie theater to see the new Wonder Woman movie uh, and you want to protect your family by carrying. You know, I carry a 380 in my pocket when we go to the movie theater. It's a shame that I have to do it, but that's the day and time that we live in. Um, if they want to search my pockets, I can tell them no. If they say, well, then you can't come in, well, guess what? They give me my money back and I go somewhere else. But you're not under any obligation to allow them to search you. And she was completely right to tell them to go exactly where she told them to go. Because as a weapons carry license holder, you can carry into any private property. And there's even some question as to whether or not a sign in Georgia is enough. Uh, we don't there, – there's no specific statute that says a sign posted, much like the signs that you have in Texas, uh, will keep you out of an establishment. Wow. So, right. So what I tell people is those signs probably aren't worth the paper that they're printed on. Those signs are meant to limit the liability of the business that you're uh, – that, that you're, uh, you're going into, that you're walking into. Uh, but still in all, if you know that a certain business does not want you to protect yourself or your family, why are you going to give them your money? Wow. Go someplace where you know you can protect your family. Absolutely. Man, I tell you what. Thank you, Matt Kilgo from Georgia, uh, the U.S. Law Shield in Georgia, laying out all the different laws in Georgia there, or at least some of them. And I tell you, that lone gun law, that one's got me for a loop there. I got to get used to that one, the lone <laughs> gun law. Invi- you guys invite me back sometime. We'll talk about that in more detail. Uh- Absolutely, man. Yeah. I tell you what, thank you, sir. I really appreciate you taking your time out of your busy day on a Sunday uh, with and talking with us. Hey, that's great. Thanks for having me, Mike. You guys have a great week. All right, sir. You, you do too. the same. All right. So uh, I tell you what, next week in about a week, I'm going to make a huge major announcement uh, and that's going to change the gun industry. It's going to change um Selling gun purchasing and selling guns in the world. It's going to be a huge major announcement, and it's just going to blow everyone's mind, and they're just going to freak out. Uh, As always, more guns equals less crime. Go out and buy yourself a gun. You've been listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill.
keep up with the latest headlines from Austin and beyond on the all-new Talk1370.com. Stay informed with the latest news, weather, contests, and more. It's all just a click away at Talk1370.com. Just one more way to stay connected with Talk 1370. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.